dealing with the uh, topic of eternal judgment, um, which is one of the six foundational doctrines taught to us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And it's the last out of the six uh, doctrines that are uh, listed. The first one being repentance from dead works and then faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead. And uh, with regards to eternal judgment, um, we're looking at a section that I've entitled uh, Eternal Decision. And we're looking at um, the importance of the decision that we make while we're still on the planet. And that decision has obviously eternal ramifications for us as to where we will spend eternity. Um, And then we had a look at, in the previous teaching, the fact that we need to endure till the end. So we saw saw that it's one thing to come into the kingdom of God to give our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and be born again. But it's another thing to keep our salvation and to endure until the end of our time on this earth. Because it's in the condition that we leave the planet that decides where we actually do go when we um, um, die physically. And we had a look at um, certain interventions that our Lord does make in the lives of believers um, with regards to uh, the eternal decisions that they've made if he sees that the path that they're on is going to reverse that decision. And um, one of the scriptures we looked at was in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul spoke about the fact that uh, many in that church in Corinth had in fact been judged by the Lord, uh, some with weakness, some with um, sickness, and some with early death. They had fallen asleep before their time. And uh, Paul teaches us, well, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul teaches us that the reason that the Lord had judged them uh, with early death is that because the Lord did not want them to be condemned with the world. And so obviously, had our Lord not judged those particular believers, then they ultimately would have been condemned with the world. And so we saw that it's not a guarantee, that it is in fact a a false teaching that has been brought into the church that teaches that once you are saved, you're always saved, and that uh, decision can never be reversed. That is not correct. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. And we had a look at in in Romans chapter 11, uh, again the Apostle Paul teaching the church at Rome about uh, natural Israel, and comparing the Gentiles that have been brought into the kingdom of God in the church age and the fact that the branches of natural Israel have been broken off so that we as wild olive tree branches could be grafted in into the um, cultivated olive tree, so to speak, of Israel. And uh, the warning given to the church by the Holy Spirit is in uh, verse 22. It says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, talking about the Jews, but toward you, Gentiles, I put in the word Gentiles, toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And so that warning is given very clearly to the church, that it is possible for the church, uh, for believers in the body of Christ to be cut off um, if they choose not to continue in the goodness of God. And so it is quite possible for believers to not continue in the goodness of God because um, through various aspects, maybe it's through sin, really. And we'll have a look at that in a little bit more detail. Uh, Then we had a look at uh, Revelation and our Lord speaking to the church at Laodicea and uh, telling that church that if they uh, did not repent, um, that he would eventually uh, spew them out of his mouth. And so they would no longer be part of the body of Christ. And that was a very clear warning given to that church by the Lord Jesus Christ because of the path that they were on. They were not on a path that uh, would bring them into an eternal eternity with him. But in fact, they were on a path where uh, he was going to eventually uh, remove them from the body of Christ. And then we saw that the Apostle John taught us that there is such a thing as the sin unto death. And he was speaking about um, spiritual death and he was addressing that um, passage of scripture to believers and we'll just quote it again in John, 1 John chapter 5 verse 16 he says if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death he will ask and he Christ Jesus will give him life for those who commit sin not to death 
There is sin to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. And so John differentiated between the two sins, that there is a sin to death and there's a sin not to death. And we can pray for forgiveness for the sin that is not to death. But the sin that is to death, there is no forgiveness for that sin. And so we cannot pray for forgiveness for that particular sin. And uh, see, and John is talking in that passage of Scripture before he, because he said to Christians, for he says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death. And so it's Christians that can commit the sin to death because it's Christians that can then once again, once again die spiritually. For we are born again. For everybody in the earth today is spiritually dead. Um, forget about children now, I'm just talking about adults, unbelievers. All unbelievers are spiritually dead. Remember our, our Lord, uh, one of the, the chaps wanted to follow him, and he said, first let me just go bury my father. And our Lord's response to him is, let the dead bury their own dead, you come and follow me. And so, very clearly in Scripture, the Bible teaches us the unbelievers are spiritually dead. Um, in, in the book of uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And so when we're born again, our spirits are made alive. And so it is our, only the born-again believer who can once again um, die spiritually. No, the un unbelievers are already dead spiritually. Um, and so they can't die again spiritually, but, um, but believers certainly can. And then we saw in James, uh, his letter, that uh, he spoke about the fact that when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And so the ultimate result of sin is spiritual death. Um, that is the, the end result of all sin. And it's designed to kill the human spirit. That is what sin is really designed to do. Um, and so when James says when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death, he's talking about continuing down the path of sin and becoming so hardened by sin that it eventually gets the believer to, to that point where they then commit the sin that John spoke about, the sin to death. And so it brings forth death. Paul, um, in his writings, uh, teaches us about the wages of sin is death. And so the ultimate result of all sin is spiritual death and uh, it, our Lord Jesus when he looks upon our lives if he sees that the path that we're on will eventually lead us to that point where we will commit the sin to death well then he does intervene like he did in the church at Corinth and take those believers home to be with him uh, at a much earlier age so that they will not be condemned with the world for only those who are spiritually dead will be condemned with the world um, and we had a look at, uh, our, our Lord gave, gave us insight as to the, 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 what condemnation the world will incur. And the condemnation that they will incur is in John chapter 3, verse 18. He says, he who believes in him is not condemned, talking about believers. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And our Lord, when he spoke about the two resurrections, he spoke about the resurrection to life, and then he also spoke about the resur re resurrection of condemnation. And the resurrection of condemnation, our Lord is referring to when unbelievers will be raised from the dead for their day of judgment. Uh, they have already been condemned. Uh, they're not going to be judged to decide whether they're going to pass into life or uh, be uh, passing to death. They have already been condemned. All that they're waiting for on their day of judgment is to find out the degree of eternal punishment that they will incur for the rest of eternity. But they've already been condemned because they do not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so that is the, we, that, that is the, the sin that the believer can commit. That is the sin to death, is to reject Jesus Christ as Lord. And by the believer committing that sin, they will then be condemned with the world um, because they too have not believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we want to carry on with that particular aspect of the teaching. It's not a, a pleasant subject to deal with, but it's a very necessary subject to deal with and, and uh, um, a very important subject because it's an eternal, uh, there are eternal ramifications for individuals um, to, if we don't understand this particular truth very clearly from Scripture. 
Um, we can then obviously, there are believers that, that can and have lost their, their eternal salvation because they have not been taught correctly from the Word of God along this line. Um, and so we saw also earlier in, in 1 John that uh, when John spoke about sin unto death and sin not unto death, that he encouraged the believer to pray for if we see a brother in Christ who is committing sin which is not unto death, um, we are to pray for them, that the Lord would forgive them and that the Lord would lead them to repentance. For the Bible teaches us that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And the reason that we're meant to pray for, for believers who are committing sin is they have entered into darkness. And uh, we've dealt with that in uh, the series on um, repentance from dead works, that the moment that we, any believer commits sin, they step out of light into darkness. And so what happens is they become blinded to the sin that they're committing because they're now walking in darkness. And so it, it is vital that they have a support group around them of Christians who can then pray for them that the Lord would forgive them and he gives them life he does forgive them and so that they once again can be brought into the light because it is possible that um, those who are not prayed for and those who do step into darkness and begin on the path of sin I'm talking about believers now um, that they can continue down that path and it's a very dangerous path to go down. And we're not to condemn believers when they uh, enter into sin. Obviously, um, you know, if they choose not to repent from their sin and they say, no, they're quite comfortable with the sin that they're in, um, well, then there are progressive degrees of how the church should be dealing with that. We're not going to touch on those aspects of the teaching today. Um, but nevertheless, we, we should never condemn believers when we see them uh, stepping in, into sin. But we should rather uh, pray for them and we should rather um, try and encourage them to turn around from the path that they're on. And the scripture we can have a look at is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Um, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, counseling the church on how to deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ who fall into sin and how we as believers around them should be dealing with that particular issue. And he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, and he's talking about fellow believers now, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so the, the, there's so much... Um, carnality about a lot of believers in that when they see a, a fellow believer sinning then rather than restoring that particular individual in the spirit of gentleness there's a lot of condemnation that comes down you know there's a lot of finger pointing and judgment pronounced on that believer to the point that the believer becomes almost maybe rebellious and you know says well you know if that's how you're going to treat me then i just i won't have any i'll pull out a fellowship with you myself and they go out into the world and they kind of get left alone and so instead of um trying to restore that individual in um in a spirit of gentleness there is the condemnation that uh, comes across from a lot in the in the in the body of christ and that is not spiritual that's certainly not uh, the will of the Lord, because our Lord does say, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. And so quite clearly, there's a lot of uh, unspiritual uh, Christians in the church, because when they see another Christian, a fellow Christian, uh, committing sin, then they do not try and restore that individual back into fellowship with the Lord uh, through a spirit of gentleness. But there is a, a, a spirit of judgment that kicks in almost, and uh, condemnation is brought to bear. And that is not the will of the Lord. That's not what our Lord wants at all. And so that is what we should be doing um, when, we see, when we do see a brother or sister in Christ who has uh, started down the path of committing sin. We should try and bring them back into fellowship with the Lord. Um, now we want to have a look at um, a very vivid account of what transpires when our Lord does uh, intervene and also when he doesn't intervene because not always does the Lord Jesus Christ intervene when he sees individuals going down the path of sin because not always 
um, do they want to turn? And uh, we'll get to it. Let's just have a look at the, the passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to uh, comment on it. But we want to look at this particular passage of Scripture to just see how our Lord Jesus actually does deal with believers who are on a path of sin and are continuing in sin. And the passage of Scripture that we want to look at is in Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. And the Scripture says, Nevertheless, this is our Lord speaking, by the way. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you, talking about his saints, according to your works. And so here we have a very vivid account. This is the church of Thyatira uh, that that particular letter was written to. And what had transpired is that there was a, a woman in that church who thought that she was called as a prophetess. Now, obviously, she wasn't called, called as a prophetess. For our Lord, uh, in his uh, uh, letter, he says, who calls herself a prophetess. And so you know, our Lord had obviously not called her into the ministry. She was, however, deluded into thinking that she was called into ministry in the, in the area of being a prophetess. And the church, in, the elders in the church of Thyatira had allowed her to minister in the church and teach the church. And they'd allowed her to continue, even though our Lord had not called her into any form of ministry. <clears throat> and so what had happened is because... She was allowed to, she was deluded into thinking she was a prophetess. She was obviously open to um, demonic spirits because there was evidence of, um, uh, of, of spiritual uh, activity operating through her because obviously claiming to be a prophetess, she could operate in uh, words of knowledge, um, words of wisdom, and well, not prophesying in the name of the Lord, obviously just prophesying as she deemed. But, you know, the Bible talks about familiar spirits. And so people can open themselves to familiar spirits. Now, what a familiar spirit is, it's a demon. And that demon knows things about individuals in the congregation. And so if a believer opens themselves up to this particular demon to be influenced by that demon, and I'm kind of being sidetracked here, but I just need to explain how it is that this woman um, was able to uh, draw a following in that church to herself, claiming to be a prophetess, because she would be able to display supernatural knowledge um, because she would now be um, listening to the familiar spirit. The familiar spirit would know something about someone in the congregation. She would then speak it out to that individual about uh, whatever it might be. You know, you did this during the week or something like that. And the individual would say, wow, you, you know, that, that's supernatural. How could you have known that? Well, she, she did know it supernaturally because the demon had obviously uh, informed her and she was now open to that demonic spirit. And under that influence, she had now gained a following. People look at the, the gift operating through her, which was not of, of the Holy Spirit. It was the counterfeit. And, you know, the, the counterfeit, Satan can do a lot of st the stuff that um, the Holy Spirit does as well. He just doesn't do it in the right manner because um, really getting drawn down this road a little bit. But the, the words of knowledge given are not the secrets of men's hearts. When the Holy Spirit, the, the true gift of the word of knowledge and word of wisdom being made manifest in the church is a revelation of what is in men's hearts. Because it's only God who knows what's inside men's hearts. Satan doesn't know that. And so when a, a demonic spirit manifests himself through an individual in the supernatural way of giving out uh, words of knowledge in that, it's always words that, are, that can be known in the natural. Because 
a familiar spirit keeps looking at individuals' lives and, you know, one demon speaks to another demon and says, well, this individual did this during the week, so you can bring that out. Or this individual has been saying this to so-and-so and you can bring that out. And so they reveal things that no one else knows except that individual, but it's things that they observe and things that they hear the person say. But they cannot, a demon can never reveal the hidden secrets of the heart. Only God can do that. Anyway, so what had happened is this individual, she had proclaimed to be a prophetess. She had opened herself up to do this demonic spirit or familiar spirit and was able to demonstrate supernatural uh, knowledge. And obviously everybody said, oh, ah, this is uh, you know, powerful stuff. And so they had started to follow her as a prophetess. Now, in that state, what happened is she had then started to teach these followers of hers um, what this demon was putting into her mind and, 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 and throwing out. Now, she's still a child of God because our Lord refers to her as his, his daughter. Um, let's just go back there. Um, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual... And indeed, I will cost... So he's talking about her as being his daughter. This is because he gives her time to repent. He's not talking about an unbelieving woman at all. She's part of the church, but she's opened up her... her um, thinking to be influenced by this, this, whatever demon it was that was influencing her. And now what she started to do, she started to teach some weird stuff. Um, and our Lord said, and I gave it time, he says, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And so this is the weird stuff she starts to introduce to her followers. And the, it seems that the church doesn't intervene. And so our Lord has to intervene. And so the, that is the background, kind of. So now what happens is our Lord says, and I gave her time to repent. So our Lord, you know, we, we dealt with it in, in, in again, under the, the series of repentance from dead works. When we commit sin, the Lord never judges us straight away. He never chased, uh, chastens us straight away. Uh, the grace of God is always there and he, he always gives his saints time to repent of their sin before he steps in. And that's what he's done here with this woman. He said, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality in verse 21, and she did not repent. So now the Lord steps it up because he says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And so now the Lord is judging her, and uh, the judgment that he pronounces on her is that he's now allowing sickness to come into on, on her body. And uh, this is the judgment she's incurring from the Lord. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So the judgment that the Lord had pronounced on her followers is that they were going to now enter into a period of tribulation in their lives. Um, and he, then he goes on to say, unless they repent of their deeds. So in other words... That when the Lord pronounces judgment in this life, and um, he only does it to the point where we will then repent of our deeds and ask his forgiveness. And the moment that that happens, then the judgment is lifted and we're restored and we're back in full fellowship with the Lord. And so what, that is what our Lord does. That's the reason why he does these interventions of judgment in the believer's life. But in verse 23, he goes on, and I will kill her children with death. And all the, children, uh, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts. And so our Lord is, is saying, if they do not repent after this period of judgment that I bring in their lives, then I will uh, kill it uh, with death, which means they will die physically. In other words, they would um, be taken to be with the Lord before their time. And that's exactly what happened in the church at Corinth. Our Lord did exactly the same thing with the believers in the church at Corinth. Um, and so when our Lord judges his church, his believers with death, he judges them with physical death. He does that because he does not want them to incur spiritual death, because if they were to incur spiritual death, that would be for all eternity, because they would now be lost to, all, uh, to him for all eternity. He, there's no coming back once a believer dies spiritually once again. And so the, the Lord's intervention is this. He 
First gives us time to repent of the sin that we're in. And I'm, I'm talking about relatively grievous sin because, I mean, this, this woman in this church in Thyatira was, com was, was committing grievous sin. I mean, she was teaching uh, people eventually to commit sexual immorality and she was teaching them to eat things sacrificed to idols. So had those believers continued to follow her and had she continued to go down that path, they would have eventually got into... Um, the point where they would have turned their backs on the Lord because you cannot uh, eat things sacrificed to idols and go down that road and walk in sexual immorality and it not eventually affect your walk with the Lord dramatically. And we're going to have a look at that in a bit more detail as we go through this teaching. So the Lord's intervention is he first gives us time to repent. If he sees that they, and it's during that time that, the, remember, the other believers around them should be trying to restore them in a spirit of gentleness and also praying for them. Remember, the Apostle John says, well, if you see your brother committing sin not unto death, um, let him ask of him and he will give him life for him who commits sin not unto death. Translated means we need to be praying and interceding for the brothers and sisters in Christ who we can see are committing sin. Obviously, the shepherds in Thyatira had couldn't see and so had not really been doing anything about it. And so now, Lord, his hand was now forced because he'd given her time to repent. Uh, his church wasn't intervening as he'd asked them to in that they weren't uh, trying to um, restore her and her followers. And so our Lord said, OK, now I've, I've given you time. And so now I've pronounced judgment on you. And the judgment on her was sickness and the judgment on her followers was great tribulation. And now the Lord saying, now that you, the judgment has come, now I need you to repent. You need to now recognize that this which has come upon you is, a, you know, is because of your sin. And so you need to now repent. And our Lord then goes on. He said, however, if they choose not to repent, I will kill them with death. And the death that our Lord kills with is physical death because he's um, more interested in our eternity than he is in this life. And if he sees the path that we're on in this life is going to um, affect our eternal destination in that we'll no longer be spending eternity with him, he would rather judge us with early death in this life so that we can uh, spend eternity with him. And that is, as I say, that's very, pretty much exactly the same thing that he did in the church at Corinth. And uh, many we read in that passage of scripture uh, which we quoted in, uh, in the previous teaching, the Apostle Paul says many have died early deaths uh, because they had continued in sin and the Lord had judged them uh, so that he could prevent them from going down that road. Now, not all sin does the Lord judge with uh, physical death because it's not all sin that will take us to the point um, of committing sin unto death. Um, well, you know, in fact, it is all sin. The ultimate goal of sin, remember James says, when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so the ultimate goal of, of sin is to kill the human spirit. That's what the ultimate goal of sin is all about. Um, and so sin left unchecked and for a believer to continue down that path will eventually do that. But there are many believers who, who commit not grievous sins and continue in those sins quite a lot part of their lives um, but the Lord doesn't deem it necessary to judge him with early death and uh, that, uh, because our Lord sees um, the, the path that they're on is not really going to take them all the way down the road um, that their natural lives will expire before they get down to that point however there is the sin which is unto death and we've dealt with that particular one uh, in the previous teaching and we still need to judge ourselves, repent of our sin, and uh, if we don't, our Lord will eventually judge us. Now, just because we don't get judged with physical death, there's many instances of uh, Christians being judged with sickness and being judged with great tribulation in this life uh, because of their sin. But our Lord never has to take it to that nth degree where he says, OK, well, now I actually need to take you back home to me because I, I see that the path that you're on is not a good one. However, even though our Lord does intervene, and we just had a look at in the church in Thyatira where our Lord intervened, and we had a look at the church in Corinth where our Lord intervened, there are instances where our Lord does not intervene. And in those instances, those people, those believers, 
will eventually reach the stage of committing the sin to death. Um, and so our Lord does allow some people, because don't forget, it, we still have a free choice in this whole thing. For God is not, hasn't created robots. And even when we come into the kingdom of God, it's our choice as to whether we're going to walk in sin or not walk in sin. Uh, he counsels us, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the decision is ours as to whether we're going to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. Uh, we can, as believers, choose to walk in the flesh and the Lord will allow us to do that. It's not his will for us. But that is what free choice is all about. That is what a free will is all about. And our Lord does very often um, allow Christians to just continue down the path that they choose to walk down. Now, it, it can be that the, the reason, because you know, we don't know the reasons for everything that takes place. Our Lord knows everything. We have no idea about a, a little bit of what's going on. Um, you know, we can see what the Word of God teaches us, and we have a, a spiritual understanding to a degree, and we have natural understanding. But again, you know, the, what goes on in the lives of even your, your, your most uh, close uh, friend or brother or sister in Christ, um, you don't know what's going on in their hearts. The Lord knows everything. And so why some believers are allowed to go all the way down the, the path, I have no idea. The Lord knows. It can be that it's because those believers don't have other believers praying for them and trying to restore them. Remember what Paul said in the Galatians, you who are spiritual, restore such a one if you see your brother caught in a trespass. Um, and John saying, if you see your brother sin innocent not to death, pray for them and, and ask the Lord to forgive them. And so it might be that there are certain individuals in the body of Christ who then start down the path of sin and do not have other believers around them who would be able to speak into their lives, spiritual uh, believers who would then encourage them back, rather they have carnal believers around them who judge them and condemn them and basically push them away from the church. And there's also the, the case that they might not have had believers who would get on their knees and pray and intercede for them. And so because they didn't have that support uh, network around them of spiritual believers, they being sent down the path because our Lord's hands are tied because you know our Lord did kind of put it across in in his teaching when he was on the earth uh, whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and it seems that what the church prays for in the earth is what the Lord can do in the earth we're his body in the earth he is the head we're the body but he works through his body in the earth and so it, it could be that our Lord is uh, his hands are tied if his church fails to act in the correct manner, so to speak. And um, so it is possible that Christians can go all the way down the road. Um, and that is why we do need to pray for believers when we see them co uh, committing sin. Because, you know, it, it's a very dangerous uh, road they're on. And uh, it's a very serious thing. Eternity is at stake. We might not think so, but, you know, it can and does happen that eternal um, destinations are changed because Christians have been allowed to drift away from following after the Lord Jesus. And it is, it's a case of drifting away. It's never a case of getting up in the morning and saying, well, that's it, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm turning my back on salvation. I'm now going to go back into the world. Thank you very much. It is always a case of being saved and then slowly starting to drift away from the things of God and eventually waking up right down the road and that's when they make that decision and so we need to be watching out for each other at all times um so the question is asked how is it possible that somebody who's accepted jesus christ as lord would ever reach a stage where they would be willing to reject him as their lord and savior let's have a look at a scripture that will help us to understand that truth which is in hebrews chapter 3 beginning at verse 12 and the writer says, the Holy Spirit, through the writer, and the writer is Paul, says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you, talking, now he's talking to Christians, beware, brethren, all right? He's talking to believers here. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of un unbelief in departing from the living God. And so here Christians can depart from the living God. 
verse 13, but exhort one another daily. We need to be encouraging each other in our walk, Christian walk every day. We, you know, Christians, uh, when, you, when you see Christians withdrawing themselves from fellowship with, with other believers and you know, starting to go out, out into the world, we need to, as, a, as Paul says, you who are spiritual, um, you know, restore such a one in spiritual gentleness and, and bring them back into the fold. Don't let the, the sh that, that sheep wander off. And shepherds, whoever might be listening to this teaching, shepherds, you, you, the Lord holds us accountable for the sheep. And uh, we're not to let any sheep wander off. And so uh, the, uh, all sheep, when, when, you know, when people get born again, the first thing that must happen is they must be put into a flock, must be brought into a congregation and hopefully a spiritual congregation that will care for them and nurture them and bring them up in the things of the Lord. But we, you know, this does happen. Verse 13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Listen to this now. Lest any of you, Christians, this is not unbelievers, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ if, remember I said in the previous teaching, I'd love to do a series one day on, on the gospel of if, because the promises of God is always linked to a condition. And, you know, everything in the, in the kingdom of God is linked to a condition. We have to meet the condition. And here's a condition. Verse 14 again, I'll start it. It says there, for we have become partakers of Christ, Christians, that's what's happened, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end and so remember i said to you it's how we leave this planet that decides where we're going to spend eternity we come into the kingdom of god but we need to now remain in the kingdom of god because it is possible for believers to once they've come into the kingdom of god to once again leave it and that is why he says um for we have become partakers of christ if big word <laughs> it's a small two two little syllable letters but it's a big word if we hold the beginning of our confidence. What was the beginning of our confidence when we came in, when we were born again? Steadfast to the end. To the end of what? To the end of our time on this planet. And so it is important for us because what happens? Those, and he says, beware, brethren, because when he says beware, brethren, it can happen to anyone. And let's go back to that passage of scripture we quoted from Galatians again, where uh, Paul says, Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so even the spiritual believer can be tempted, and we need to consider ourselves, we need to make sure that we are staying true in this walk of salvation that we've been brought into. Because it is a deceptive process, because look at what he says here. Be in Hebrews 3 again, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Very possible to depart from the living God once you come into kingdom. But verse 13, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you, any Christian, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful. It, it might seem, okay, well, this is just doing this, you know, it's not so bad. Um, but that what, what, what happens is when you, we start down that road, when you, you, you commit just a little sin, what happens is your, your heart becomes a little bit hardened. To what? To the things of, the, of God. And uh, you need to go back to the series that we did on, on repentance from dead works because it's vital to understand the impact of sin. Sin is such a dangerous thing for Christians to play around with because, uh, you, you know, it has that it's a deceitful thing, and it has the effect of hardening the Christian's heart. And the more they get into it, the harder their hearts become. And the less um, important the things of God become in their lives. And before they know it, they've gone so far down the road. Now, if, as I say, the Lord doesn't intervene in their lives and allows them to continue down that path. Because, as I said, there are instances where the Lord has allowed Christians to go all the way down the road to the point of committing the sin to death. That's why the Holy Spirit warns us about that sin, because it's possible to get there. If it was impossible to get there, it wouldn't be in the Bible. 
because God, why would God want to put something in there that's impossible? He put something in there because it is possible. And there are Christians that have gone down that road. And I kind of hinted as to what could be the cause is because those particular Christians do not have a support network around them. And so they get left alone and Satan is allowed to draw them aside and lead them down uh, the garden path, so to speak. Um, and so in that passage of scripture, he's warning about, he's warning believers about the effects of sin in Hebrews chapter three. He's not warning unbelievers at all. He's warning uh, believers about the effects of sin. And so let's have a look at what actually the condition is of these believers who reach the point of committing the sin to death. And that we pick up in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. The scripture says, For it is impossible. Now this is impossible. If the Holy Spirit says it's impossible, it's impossible. That means, and you know, somebody said, yeah, but with God all things are possible. No, God cannot lie. And so that's impossible. So when God says all things are possible with him, to a point, yes. But when God says it's impossible in his word, then it's impossible. And so God has said it's impossible. And this is what he says. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and of the powers of the age to come. Verse 6. If they fall away, there's that little word, if again. It's a huge word in the Bible. If they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And so let's just analyze this passage of Scripture for it's a very important passage of Scripture for us to, to, to understand. Let's, he says, For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened... And then drop, then we'll come back, but let's drop all the way down to verse 6. Those who are once enlightened, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. So these people cannot be renewed to repentance. Now, repentance is coming into the kingdom of God. So let's look at what happened. Impossible for those who are once enlightened. What it means to be enlightened is that you're in the world. Because we're, we're all in darkness we're in the, when we're in the world. And we, we, the light of the gospel is not shone upon us. And so we don't understand the gospel at all. But when we're enlightened, somebody now has, has witnessed to us the gospel message. And we have recognized the truth of the gospel for the very first time. And so what has happened is that we have heard the gospel message. And so we can now make a decision. We've been enlightened. For the very first time, we've understood, I need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now I've got my decision. Don't forget, the free will kicks in. I make the decision now because God has now opened his gospel to me. Because a lot of people hear the gospel message preached. That means nothing to them because they're still in darkness. Um, God doesn't allow them to see that light. But I'm talking about some an unbeliever now who God does allow to see the light. And so they recognize this is true. This message is actually real. I need to respond to it. And so they choose to respond. How do they do? And have tasted the heavenly gift. So they've been enlightened. They saw the truth of the gospel. And they said, yes, I want to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When they do that, they taste of the heavenly gift. Now, who, what is the heavenly gift? Jesus is the heavenly gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus is the heavenly gift. And so we are enlightened. I'm talking about the process of coming into the kingdom of God now. As an unbeliever, I hear the gospel preached. I understand it for the very first time. I'm enlightened. I make a decision of my will. I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. When I do that, I taste of the heavenly gift, which is Jesus Christ. I now become his and he dwells in me and I am baptized into him. Listen to this next point. Um, have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. To become a partaker of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent event. We talk about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being full with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and have tasted the good word of God. And so I've spent a bit of time in the word of God. I have an idea of what the Bible says. And of the powers of the age to come. So he's talking about spiritual gifts now, because those are the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, to renew them. This is impossible. It's impossible to renew them to get, again to repentance. 
Why? Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And so they die spiritually once again. And uh, James calls it uh, twice dead. They, these people are twice dead. They once were dead, they were born again, they died again. And they are twice dead. And once you, you've, you've died that second time, spiritually I'm talking, uh, it is impossible to be born again again. You cannot be born again uh, a second time. We can only be born again once. And so that is the, the description of people who eventually get to the point where they will then deny Jesus Christ as their Lord and there's no way back for them. That is an, is an eternal death that they then commit. Um, and we need to guard ourselves all through this life. We mustn't take our, our salvation for granted and think, well, you know, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. I'm destined for heaven. I've, I'm not going to go to hell anymore. And so I'm just going to continue with life because now I've got my insurance policy in place. That's not the way to approach this thing at all because sin is deceitful and it hardens the heart of the believer. And we drift away from the things of God. We don't ever turn our back on Him. We drift away. And eventually we get to the point where we will turn our back on the Lord if we continue down that path. And the Lord doesn't intervene. And the church doesn't intervene. The Christian will go down that path and the Christian will turn their backs on the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the end of that. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 Paul warning the church again. He says, if we endure, there's this word, if again. You know, the, the little word if is so important in the Gospels and in, in the epistles for us to look at. And wherever that word if is there, look at what it's there for. And, you know, because it's a condition. And if, condition, if we don't meet the condition, we won't inherit the promise. That's as simple as that. He says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And so we have to endure until the end. In the Gospels, our Lord says, He who endures till the end shall be saved. And He's not saying till, till the end of the ages. He's talking about till the end of our lives. And we need to endure. Here Paul says, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. So if we don't endure, we're not going to reign with Him. And if we do deny Him, He will deny us. And that is the, the bottom line. Our Lord Jesus will deny those who deny him. That he's, he's told us that. The scripture tells us that. Um, it's as plain as can be. And so salvation is not guaranteed. Um, it's something to be guarded. It's something to be protected. Um, and we must encourage one another every day, the Bible teaches us. And surround ourselves with believers who, are, um, who would support us in our Christian walk. And not condemn us when we fall and stumble but rather be there to be able to restore us. And we should, in, in, in the same manner, be able to restore believers around us that we see stumbling and also bring them before the Lord in prayer. We need to look out for each other. This is very important. And so we have our eternal decision that we make when we come into the kingdom of God. And we need to recognize that it, in fact, is an eternal decision that we make. And eternity is a very difficult thing for us to get our minds around in this life because we're used to time. We're used to the uh, earth revolving around the sun. We're used to um, seasons coming and going. We're used to a 12-hour day for argument's sake. Um, you know, we are bound by time. and We see the years going past and we see the days going past. And so that is how we understand life but God dwells in eternity and eternity is outside of time that's why Peter says and he's really quoting an Old Testament scripture when he says it he says that with the Lord he said don't forget that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day he's trying to bring across to us in this life what the concept of eternity is all about in eternity there is no time there's also no distance in eternity. Um, and that's another concept that we in, in this life can't get our minds around because you know, we're bound by distance and we're bound by time. Um, but in eternity, it's outside of time and it's outside of distance. There's no distance in eternity. There's no time in eternity. And that's where God dwells. Um, 
And so when we leave this planet, we're going to go to one of two different places. There are only two places given to people on this planet to go when they leave the planet. And we either go to heaven or we go to hell. Those are the two places that are set aside for people to go when they leave this planet. But those two destinations are not man's final destinations. Hell is just a temporary stopover and heaven is also just a temporary stopover. It's not where man is designed to be uh, in, in both locations. None of us are designed to be in hell for all eternity and none of us are designed to be in heaven for all eternity because that is not where we're meant to be. Um, and now if we go back in time and we look at just the timeline of man because you know, there, there'd be many ages, even up until this time, on the earth. Um, think about the dinosaurs. They were here before we came, long before we came. Um, all the demons that are on the earth today, they were a race of people that existed before they became demon spirits on the earth today. Um, and so you have ages that were here long before mankind came to the earth. Lucifer, the Bible teaches us that his throne was on the earth. When he was Lucifer, now he's Satan, but he used to be uh, an anointed cherub, an angel of God. And his throne was in Eden, the garden of God, here on the earth. That was where he was located. And all of his angelic beings, which most of the demons that are on the earth today, were part of his kingdom, his realm, that was on the earth at that time, which was I don't know, millions of years ago. And, you know, we kind of, kind of forget about that side of it, but that's the reality. This earth has been out there for a long, long time. Mankind, on the other hand, has only been on the planet for roughly 6,000 years, just a bit longer. And Adam and Eve were on the earth roughly 6,000 years ago. That's when God put them on the earth. So mankind has actually been on the earth in a very short space of time compared to the history of the earth. And the, the uh, people that, I'm calling them people, they were obviously angelic beings that dwelt on the earth long before we ever came. But let's just have a look at our timeline. 6,000 years in our thinking is a long time. Uh, you know, 6,000, anybody lived to 6,000 years, it's a long time. But think about the fact that you have two individuals who are in the two different locations right now and have been there for the last 6,000 years. Abel and Cain, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Abel was a righteous uh, um, man and he went to heaven. And he has been in heaven for the last 6,000 years. Now he's been resting in heaven for the last 6,000 years. Now I guarantee you, he has not been bored and thinking, oh Lord, I've been, I've been here 6,000 years already. How much longer do I have to be? Because he's outside of time. And so, you know, 6,000 years, remember the Lord, one day is 1,000 years. And I'm just equating that because that's, uh, people like to take that and say, okay, well, 6,000 years is six days. Um, in fact, you know, that's not how eternity works. But we can, just from the point of view of trying to get our minds around it, think along that line. He's been there for six days, okay? And it's been 6,000 years that have passed on the planet. In the same manner, his, his brother, Cain, who killed him, has been held in hell for the last 6,000 years. And so he's, all right, maybe been down there for six days, but it's been, it seemed like an eternity for him. Uh, because it has, in fact, been eternity. Because they're both in eternity, but in different locations. And so that's kind of trying to get our mind around um, what eternity is all about. And, you know, the fact is that here we have two individuals that have been kept in these two locations, hell and heaven, for the last 6,000 years. And to us, that seems like and a long time, 6,000 years. But in there, uh, you know, it's, it's eternal. And so there is no time. Very difficult for us to get a, a concept around uh, eternity. But the other point that I wanted to make is that heaven and hell are not our eternal destinations. Well, mankind is not designed to be there. God never created man to be in hell, and he certainly did not create man as well to be in heaven. God created man for the earth. That is our natural habitat. That is where God has designed mankind to live. We are not um, 
celestial beings. We are terrestrial beings and we are designed to live on the earth. And so that is our eternal destination. Let's have a look at scripture along that line, which helps us, which is in 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse 13, because this is where our final destination is. For believers, this is our final destination. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, this is the promise of God the Father, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so we are destined to dwell in God's new earth that he will create. For this earth will be destroyed, the one that we dwell in now. Um, at the end of the age, God the Father will destroy this earth completely. It will disappear and God will create a new earth. And that new earth is humongous in size. It's really big. Um, it's nowhere near the size of the earth that we're currently dwelling on. And uh, if we get time in the series, we'll go through... Uh, some dimensions of what um, the new earth will really be like. But that is really where we are destined to dwell for all eternity. And so all the believers who have fallen asleep in Christ have gone to heaven to be with the Lord, but are there as a temporary stopover because they're also waiting for the eternal uh, dwelling place, which is the new earth that God our Father will create. And we will obviously join them and we will be with them on God's new earth in the new Jerusalem. But that is where our, our eternal destination will be. And so this earth, this life that we're in now is very temporary. Because, I mean, even if, you know, um, the, the guy that lived the oldest in the Bible up to the, re, in the recent times, I'm not talking about Adam's days and that where the guys lived to 900 years old. I'm talking about in the recent times, one of the priests, the high priest, um, his name slips my mind for now, but he lived for, uh, to the age of 130 so, you know, he lived, quite, you know, there's very, I don't know if anybody's lived to 130 since his day. And that day was roughly, uh, was after David was just before Babylon, we're just before Israel were, were taken into Babylon. So it's roughly about you know, 3,000 years ago that he lived, and he lived to 130. And, uh, but even that, 130 is, you know, nothing compared to eternity. Compare 130 years to 6,000 years. Compare 6,000 years to millions of years. And you, know, you get an idea. So this life is very temporary. And then the, our temporary stopover, Christians in heaven, is very temporary as well. Because even 6,000 years, let's say our Lord still takes another 1,000 years to come to the earth. I don't believe that for one second that it's going to be another 1,000 years. But be that as it may, um, even that is still just a blink of an eye in comparison to eternity. And so that is where the believers will dwell for all eternity on, in God's new earth. The unbelievers, hell is not their final destination. They are also, they're down there, they're suffering punishment. Believe you me, it's not a good place to be. Um, but they're waiting for their day of judgment because they know their day of judgment is coming. And that is when they will be judged for all eternity. So where's their eternal destination? Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 13, the scripture says, this is talking about the final day of judgment because there are two days of judgment. We're dealing with eternal judgment, just to bring it out quickly. Uh, the Christians have their day of judgment and then at the end of the age, the believers, unbelievers, sorry, have their day of judgment. This is their day of judgment. Um, it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so it's the second death, which is the eternal death. Verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so everyone that uh, is in Hades today, their names are not recorded in the book of life. And so they have already been condemned. Our Lord said so because they didn't believe in him while they are on the, this planet. We get opportunity on, in this life, in this very short space of time, we get opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or reject him as Lord and Savior. Those who accept him are destined for, uh, for heaven and then ultimately for eternity on God's new earth. Those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ in this life are destined for 
the, the stopover destination of hell and eventually to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone for all eternity. And that is the ultimate destination of believers and unbelievers. Um, and so we get just this short space of time to make that one decision. For it is that one decision that decides where we're going to go. When I accept Jesus Christ as Lord, I've now passed from death to life. I'm now destined for God's new earth for the new Jerusalem, for all eternity, to dwell with God. If I reject Him and His salvation, I am destined for the lake of fire and brimstone for all eternity. And that is the decision that is made. So it's one decision, one decision that determines where a person will be for the rest of eternity. But it doesn't end just there, because although that one decision decides for us where we will spend eternity it's not that decision that decides how we will spend eternity there's a big difference between the two let me explain it's the day of judgment that we will incur at the end of the age that is what will determine how we will spend eternity not where where we will spend eternity is decided on in this life now and so every person living on the planet has, up until their last dying breath, opportunity to make the decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Think about the guy who was on the cross with our Lord. He was you know, maybe an hour or two away from death, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and our Lord said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. And so he'd lived his whole life as a criminal, and he was a murderer, obviously, because he was being... Uh, justly crucified he said he was and so on his as they were as they were executing him he gave his heart to the lord and he's he's currently in heaven today and he's going to spend all eternity with god the father and our lord jesus in the in the new earth um and so that's the decision we get until our very last breath that we take on this earth on this earth we get to make the decision as to where we're going to spend eternity but it's not that decision that determines how we're going to spend eternity. That is where the day of judgment will come in. And it's the day of judgment that will determine how we will spend eternity. It's not the, de not the decision of um, whether we accept Jesus Christ as uh, a Lord and Savior. Well, to a degree, it does say some way as to how we're going to spend it because we're either going to be spending it in torment in the lake of fire and brimstone or we're going to be spending it in the joyous presence of God in his new earth um, however there is more to it than that um, in the scripture we want to have a look at about the fact that there is coming a day in which each one of us will be judged for our lives on the earth believers and unbelievers alike there's going to there's a day of judgment that all of us are going to incur and we can one of the scriptures we can look at is 2 timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says i charge you therefore before god and the lord jesus christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom and so the living will are speaking of the believers and the dead speaking of the unbelievers for they are spiritually dead um, and so on that particular day, and it's two, on two different days, by the way, uh, just in case you haven't picked it up yet, the Christians will be judged before and the unbelievers will be judged afterwards at a, at, on another day. But on that particular day, our lives, everybody, our lives will be judged in absolute detail um, and with complete impartiality we're going to go through this in the series of, of, of this teaching on eternal judgment but believe you me the bible talks about that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak and so even your idle words that you have in conversations with people we will have to give an account for those words spoken on that day every thought every thought you say well how is it possible it's possible because God is uh, going to be the one who's going to be in control and he has all knowledge and he's able to do it and he has got he's got all eternity to do it then by the way um, because I forget although it's talking about a day of judgment it's it's outside of time when we are judged we're judged in eternity 
And so every, every detail of our lives is going to be judged on that particular day. Believer and unbeliever alike, no difference from that point of view. And also, the judgment will be completely impartial. Um, it's, there's no favoritism in this judgment at all. Now, they don't forget, the, the one is a judgment of condemnation. They've already been condemned. And so what they're going to find out in their day of judgment is the degree of punishment they're going to incur for the rest of eternity. What we as believers will find out on our day of judgment is the degree of, um, what's the word I'm looking at, blessing, you could say it, the degree of blessing that we will enjoy for the rest of eternity. That's one way you could, you, you could describe it. It's not the best way of describing it, but nevertheless it is one way. Um, and so there is the two degrees, uh, there is, are the two judgments, and let's just have a look at that scripture. Our Lord, I have alluded to it already in John 5, verse, beginning in verse 28. The scripture says, Do not marvel at this, this is our Lord speaking, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That means everybody who dies physically. And come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Our Lord speaks about two resurrections. The resurrection of life is the Christian's resurrection. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. If you look at the series that we dealt done earlier on um, the resurrection of the dead, in the book of Revelation, it talks about blessed is he who's, who has part in the first resurrection. And the first resurrection is the resurrection of life that our Lord speaks about. That is, that is the resurrection of believers. And then the resurrection of condemnation, which our Lord speaks about here, is the second resurrection, which takes place at the end of the age. And that is for all the unbelievers. They will be raised out of the graves and they will incur their judgment on that day. And so that is the two judgments that will take place at the, uh, as eternal judgments. Um, the decision as to where we're going to go has to happen here in this life. But the decision as to how we're going to spend the rest of eternity takes place on those two judgment days. And uh, we'll go into that in a lot more detail over the next uh, series of teachings as we go through this topic called eternal judgment. And we're going to end the teaching on that point today.